Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. I almost hate to use the word educational. Charles Staley. And uh, I failed phys ed and English all the way through high school. Phil Stevens. I guess I'm kind of the, uh, the dark horse here. And Rob Fortress Fortney. But there really is no secret. Thanks for listening. Welcome, ironradio.org listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I'm an exercise physiology and nutrition professor, and I am a former competitive bodybuilder. Hey, folks. Rob Fortress Fortney here, former editor at Muscle Mag International, former competitive bodybuilder and strength trainer. Hey, uh, Phil Stevens, strength coach, Highland Games athlete, former powerlifter, strongman competitor, yada, yada. Cool. Um before we get going with the topic of the day, and what we're going to talk about today is basically what it's like to compete or how, how each of us approach competing in the different strength sports. Because I've talked to students about this before, and, and I think listeners might be interested in this, especially if they're thinking about competing for the first time. They've never tried it. Um, but a couple of quick announcements first. One is we got some nice comments on Facebook. I appreciate those people who are listening and just, you know, liking the podcast and stuff. Also, uh, some of the people from the Nutrition Stories contest in the summer, they got their swag. They got their, you know, their prizes for participating, and they seem to be pretty stoked about that. So that's cool. So stay tuned for future contests because we've got stuff, textbooks, and even Iron Radio-related kinds of, uh, you know, mugs and T-shirts and stuff like that. So we try to do fairly regular contests. Uh, and I also wanted to uh, mention quickly, uh, one of the things I do as a professor, of course, is, is research and, and writing. And uh, early next year, this is probably the first public announcement that I've made of this, but early next year I'll be wrapping up uh, with uh, just famous researchers from around the country, actually, a, a book on protein and resistance training. So if you're one of those people who have had uh, experts, quote, unquote, um, really demonize protein until you're wasting your time and that kind of stuff. Uh, this is really going to be sort of the definitive book specific to higher protein diets and resistance training. So if you hear things like it's hard on your kidneys, whatever that means, or it'll cause bone loss or whatever you may hear, you know, this book is, is going to be sort of a scientific approach. It's a textbook, so it might bore some people, but I think a lot of our listeners are just nerdy enough to, to like something like that. So I'll probably be mentioning that off and on in the next coming months because I think it's a resource that, that you know, beyond just the standard sports nutrition textbook, I think it's sort of a resource that a lot of us would appreciate. So, But, okay, so today's – Today, we're going to – What's that? Are there any 8 by 10 glossies of you in there? No glossies. I'm, I'm just writing a chapter. This is a textbook. This isn't a magazine where – your fortress is oiled up on the cover. <laughs> okay, so listen. Uh, I, again, I had some students ask me, you know, what it, what is it like to compete, and what do I have to consider? And I know everybody does have their sort of secrets, if you will. Fortress is laughing about that before we started recording, but um, I just want to sort of brush on this because you guys, especially, you know, the three of us all involved in, in quite different strength sports. I mean, Phil's all over the place with his competing, so that's that's cool. And one of the first questions I wanted to sort of, just sort of toss out to you guys is how do you approach it? I mean, when you decide to compete, how do you approach that? What what triggers, you know, you to say, okay, it's time to compete? People bugging me enough? 
people bug you? Yeah. Like how? Like like what do you mean? Like, dude, you're strong. You should compete. <laughs> Things like that. Yeah. Um, competing is not as, as important to me as it is for a lot of people, only because um, I don't know. I've I've always been one to believe that the the real competition is just that the your um, ability to be have longevity in it and keep going, keep going and do it for yourself. Um, yeah. But certainly competing while can be a nice little uh, um, period to a, an era before you move yeah. on to another one. Um, and that could be everything from several times a year, of course, to every few years, depending on sending priorities. No, I, I think that's a great point too, Rob. I mean, that's what I just got back from a, a big round table with a bunch of guys and, you know, one of the things Windler talked about, Tim Windler, it was, uh, you know, all this crap out there about, you know, eight weeks to the bigger bench, four weeks to this or that, you know, 30 days to this. And it's like, screw four weeks or eight weeks, man. I'm a lifer. But, uh, <laughs> you know, yeah. I'm in this for the long haul. But I don't know. I think for me, it's just, I'm competitive anyways. So it's, I want to get out there and, you know, I push myself and test myself in the gym, but it's a place for me. In strength sports, anyways, you've got laid out parameters and a very objective goal that I have to meet. You know, I mean, me making a lift in the gym is one thing, but me doing it in front of three judges that are looking at me and making me do it correctly is another. So, and, you know, I don't, I think nothing can fire you up more than signing a check and putting your name on the line. Right. Yeah, that's kind of what I was getting at when I when I thought about this too, and when I heard about it was that it's a huge motivator, right? I mean, one of the things that it's always impressed me about you, Phil, and Charles is you you compete fairly frequently. I mean, it seems like to me. Whereas I've often been of the mindset that well, I'm not quite ready yet. My physique's not quite there. And of course, with bodybuilding, you're talking about like a 20 week commitment or something. You know what I mean? It's it, it, and, and I'm not saying that's not true with, with, let's say, Highland Games or something, but it's not something that you can jump into the spur of the moment. It's almost a, a full one-year cycle, you know, the first several weeks or a few, or a few months of, of mass gain and then a very long sort of protracted dieting and, and leaning out phase. So it's not something you can just jump into. And I'm always like, I, you know, am I within striking distance right now? Are my lifts going well? You know, do am I looking big? I mean, so there's a lot of kind of things that go into how frequently you can compete in bodybuilding, I think, versus maybe Highland or something. I, I could be totally off, though. Uh, like in power and stuff, the further you get along. Like when I first started power and strongman, I was competing. You know, and it was one after another after another after another. And then you get to a certain point, and you start backing off because you expect a certain amount of progress between each meet. Type mm -hmm. of thing. So... How long do you think that is? Are you talking six months or? Yeah, like in powerlifting, you know, I, I I was down to one major meet a year, and then I might do another little one, but one that really meant something. Um, because you know, at a certain point, you know, when you got a seven hundred pound deadlift, it takes a long time to get to seven fifteen. You know, whereas early on, I could go to a meet, and a month later, I could go. When I had a 400-pound deadlift, I could go to a meet three months later and have a 450. <laughs> yeah. Right, yeah, rock and so, roll. Um, yeah, so it kind of depends on that. And, but, well, you brought up, Bonnie, is a good point, the whole concept of uh, certainly in the bodybuilding realm of um, 
how you talk to a lot of guys and let's face it, you know, 99% of people who, um, you know, say they're going to compete in bodybuilding one day never do. And usually the ones who of those, uh, the most common thing that you'll hear is exactly what you said, which is I'm not ready yet. And that seems to be something that's a little bit more to bodybuilding than it is like power, uh, or weightlifting or so. Um, and I think that has something to do with kind of just the ambiguousness of what is ready in bodybuilding. You know what I mean? Like it's a, it's such a kind of like a, a blurry line. Um, whereas it might not be nearly as much. So when you're actually doing something like powerlifting and so forth, where, where, you know, you want to hit a certain number because you can see it. Yeah. Yeah. Always get this skewed perception of what is ready because, you know, the images that they might be, um, you know, exposed to and most likely are in all the magazines and so forth, you know, show the best of the best. And, you know, when you get, when you get some guy who's just, you know, at a level one, level two, whatever it is, you know, uh, looks in the mirror after a shower, um, you know, in the perfect lighting, he thinks, okay, I'm almost there. I'm almost Lee Haney, but um, they know that they're not that. So again, it's like, well, when I'm ready, but you know, when they're ready, it never seems to happen. Yeah. Yeah. That's so true. You know, I actually like Phil's idea too. If you're, I think if you're one of those guys, it's like, I'm not ready. I'm not ready, but let's face it. You know, you're between, I don't know, 175 and 200 pounds and you're in decent shape. And Rob and I talked about this recently on experiments versus experience, but like, you know, what's competition worthy, but you get to a point where maybe it'd be good to what Phil brought up, which was do a warm up show or do a test the water show, you know, and I'm not saying give yourself an excuse to fail, but you're telling yourself, listen, I'm not going to pull out all the stops, maybe 90%, you know, and I'm going to do this kind of warm up show. Um, especially in my opinion, if you, if you diet for something like 20 weeks, which I think is probably the appropriate length to actually get lean if you're starting in the, let's say, mid teens in body fat or something like that, you put that kind of effort into it and self denial with the diet and everything else. Damn it, I'm going to compete more than once, you know, when you're that tight. And you put that much into it. It, I think, a warm-up show is a great idea. And I, you know, I just helped the gal, you know, a little bit with. Uh, she was getting ready for. Oh, I forget what it's called, but it's a new. They do a figure model thing, but then there's also athletic task where they got a bench press, body weight, so many reps, this and that, and this and that. And uh, you know, she was five weeks out from that and just jumped in and decided to do a posing contest. You know, five weeks prior just to see where she's at, and, you know, it helped a ton. You know, it, it, it warmed her up for the thing to come and kind of took some nerves off and this and that. But, uh, no, and I think it's uh, there's always an excuse, like Rob's getting that. It's never the right time. Yeah. It's and, you know, I, and, and having, having been somebody who's competed both as a powerlifter, I'll tell you that um, I certainly think it's more um, intricate and all-consuming to prepare for a bodybuilding competition as to prepare for a powerlifting. You're not saying that you don't, powerlifters don't work as hard in the actual training and so forth. I'm just talking about the, the different variables that go into it that have to be considered. I mean, um, it, it just get, kind of gets ridiculous after a while long. You know what I'm talking about? You know, the whole thing with oh, yeah. the diet and the training and the cardio and, and everything as far as like your, your skin tone and, and posing oil and, and what trunks to bring. And do I have a, a backup um pair and what what can I eat between the prejudging and the night show and what music do I need and I need to do choreography and I got to make sure my grooming is I mean it really does become all-consuming bodybuilding um, 
so I, I certainly have no problem in saying that. And again, I'm not, I'm, as a powerlifter myself, I'm not belittling just a huge, colossal effort that's needed to be, again, it's more singular. And, you know, I, if I can add this, I think in bodybuilding, there's, it might be more of a personal kind of exposure component that keeps people from competing as well. Because, I mean, if you missed a squat, well, that's going to suck. And nobody wants to feel that kind of, you know, that little twinge of failure or whatever, missing a heavy squat. But, I mean, that is sort of a far stretch from getting on stage in front of dozens or hundreds of people in your skivvies and, you know, you're naked, <laughs> basically. You know, and I think that's a bigger sort of um, emotional commitment on some level. Again, if I'm wrong on any of this, guys, tear me a new one, you know, but it feels to me like that's sort of one of the things that really dissuades some guys from, oh, I'm not ready, I'm not ready. And at some point, you've got to at least try a warm-up show, I think. No, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, there's a huge fear of getting in front of people in, you know, what is essentially a Speedo, everybody just staring at you. And Yeah, there's something that's very, very... Um, unnerving and that when people are judging you on just the way you look, you know, as maybe something that you can do. It's it's hard to separate yourself, but I do think it's 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 a good practice. I mean, if you can compete some, just and, and this would be true in any strength sport, but the more you compete, the more comfortable you get. And I think the more as a bodybuilder, you could sort of objectify. Uh, you know, yourself, because you, you, you pour your whole being into this, like you said, Rob, with everything from choreography to real tan, fake tan, eating, uh, all this kinds of stuff. But um, I don't know. I kind of lost my train of thought there. But the whole idea, though, is that it's it seems that, you know, in bodybuilding, there, there would be more excuses. And, and there's a lot more factors to line up to make it work, you know. But let me move on to the next question for you guys. Um, how do you view your competitors because this may be something that keeps people from competing as well but do you view them in a positive light or a negative light do you feel a sense of camaraderie or do you feel like they're your enemy how about you rob what do you think in fact i was having this this discussion with somebody just the other day and they were asking you know well i'm still trying to choose a competition that was already full so i had to choose another one now and people were saying well you know do you know who you'd be competing against and and Quite honestly, I have no idea, and I don't really care um, either way. Um, when I actually get to the competition, I look look at them more as brothers than I do as enemies or otherwise. We look at them as competitors. I'm not really a competitor in that sense. I'm only competitive within myself. Um, I've always said that if if you get the trophy in the first place, and that that's just icing on the cake. But to me, the whole thing is to go and do the best that you can, and you know, make new PRs and all that kind of thing. So. Right, I don't really care who is there, and like I said, I, I when I go into a competition, I, I wish the best to everybody who's there, I, and I'm genuine when I say that. And like I say, you know, it's made the best man win because ultimately, for me, the the total victory is whether I've improved upon myself. Yeah, and I can't agree more. I mean, I think I think early on you might think about that, uh, but you got to give that up pretty quick. If you're not doing it for you, you're doing it for all the wrong reasons. Um, and I'm the first person to tell people that uh, if you're worried about the other guy, you're not putting enough attention to yourself. So, I mean, if I'm worried about what he's doing, what he's caught, and what he's taking, what he's blah, 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 I mean, it's just I'm wasting my time. I need to be taking all that energy and putting it into me. And I think that one of the best things I learned from strength sports and that I've gained out of strength sports is just how the camaraderie of it. 
I don't care how many people are in it in, in powerlifting, Olympic lifting, strongman, Highland Games. It's still a niche sport, and it's never going to be huge. You're going to be kind of an outcast, and we all got to, you know, kind of join together and be brothers. I like that. You know, I like that about it. I like the niche. I like the minority, yeah. And, you know, we get out there and, yeah, we're all trying to do our best. But the minute, like recently, you know, I'm out there throwing, and the minute I'm done throwing and giving my best, I'm cheering for this next guy to beat me. Yeah. I think that might be... I think that might be more common in, in stuff like Highland Games where, you know, everybody goes and has a Guinness or something, you know, and they're all like, yeah, yeah, lift the stone, Phil, you know, and I think in bodybuilding, although I think there's some guys like that, I think there are also some kind of prima donnas who are, you know, sort of arrogant and, and I, and I don't know if, if they share that same kind of, you know, let's go wipe out a, I don't know, a, a, a chocolate cream, dream caramel pie after we compete together, you know what I mean? Um, and just indulge in something. There's a-holes in any anything you do, but I think by far the majority are great people. So, yeah. I think a lot of that has to do with the, the, the pure strength sports. Um, there's, there's really not a lot of money involved, if any. Oh, no. Um, yeah. So, you know, that takes that whole kind of variable out of it where, you know, you might have people that actually are, you know, Figuring that they need to place in something because you know God they got to you know pay their rent. Right? <laughs> um, yeah, you know, and that's and they believe in the upper you know levels too. I mean, obviously in the professional level, I mean, you know when these guys are on the you know IFBB pro and stuff. I mean, a lot of these guys really put a lot of emphasis on what they're making yeah. be their their livelihood at that point. Um, so I think that's a big factor too. But as Phil said, there's going to be a holes in everything. So, um, but I think one of the things that draws a lot of people um, to these types of sports is again, and they're all brother sister sports. Is kind of it is kind of that brotherhood thing. I mean, a lot of us are kind of in a lot of ways, you know, square pegs trying to fit into round holes. You know, the round hole being society. I mean, a lot of us are outcasts in a lot of ways. We're you know very independent individual type people who you know might have been marginalized in certain um, areas of our lives or something like that. And, and we, we kind of gravitate towards this because it is kind of a, you know, a very thing, something that's very unique, um, you know, and, and something that is, um, mostly populated by people like this. So I think, I think we kind of feel, us at least, I think feel a kinship with one another because, because we kind of know that, you know, it does take a certain kind of person to kind of get under a, you know, a 400 and, you know, I think that's a great time and, you know, uh, Nothing of eating eight times a day, and you know, sitting on the crapper five, seven times a day, and you know, <laughs> it, you know, the things that essentially matter not to really, but they matter much to us. So I think, I think people like like Phil said earlier that the, the, the phrase he uses, "lifer," people that are lifers. I, I think again, it's one of those things where you can almost, when you meet somebody who is of um, spiritual bent as far as that's concerned, you kind of feel a, a, an immediate kinship with them. And it's kind of hard to, you know, want to take the head off somebody or not wish well, somebody who you kind of feel a very, you know, a strong brotherhood sense with, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's a cool way to look at things. It really is. I, I, I'm, I'm going to agree with both of you guys too. The last time I competed, which was about five years ago, and that, that's part of the reason I'm going to do it again. I just feel like it's time, you know, sometimes you just get this sort of notion that it's time, but, uh, 
is I, I had no idea who I was competing against. And so I had certain goals for myself. And again, I don't want to sound like a, an excuse kind of maker or a defeatist, but my goal was not necessarily to win first place. I mean, it was, it was ultimate goal, but I mean, I wasn't, you know, going to go home and shoot myself if, if it didn't happen because I was competing in open competitions and I was hormonally challenged compared to the guys, you know, that I was competing against. So for me, it was, you know, can I get shredded at 195 pounds, you know, and to me at, you know, barely five, nine, that's a legit light heavyweight and compete in a national qualifier. And I'm toying with the idea of competing again and that it's going to be a similar goal. But, you know, now that I'm, I'm 41 years old, I'm going to try at the master's level. And then, you know, I saw all the things right in front of me and I said, man, this guy is getting ripped and he's huge. But, you know, so just like you, you know, you have a certain lift that you want to make. It was the same thing with me. I had a certain body composition goal, you know, that I wanted to do. And I wanted to make sure I was beaming with confidence and I felt awesome when I was, you know, doing my posing routine. And man, this guy is getting ripped and he's huge. Actually, the posing music I chose was Phantom of the Opera type music. You know, it wasn't the typical, you know, techno or pop 40 kinds of crap that I just can't stand, you know. So, you can kind of express yourself too. And I felt really good about it. You know, I didn't make any mistakes in my choreography. You know, I, I hit my body composition goal. Man, this guy is getting ripped. So I felt like a million bucks. And I did have sort of a, a make or break goal though of being in the hardware, as it were. Because in bodybuilding, of course, you know, you're talking about top five. So in a national qualifier kind of event, when you got 20 or more other guys in your class, being in the top five, I think is a real accomplishment, especially because, like I said, I, I, I wasn't gassed out of my head like a lot of the guys I competed against. In fact, some of the guys who, who won my class were obviously big time users, growth hormone. I mean, their skin was like pink cellophane. You know, it was so thin and, and I couldn't possibly achieve that, nor I'm, would I necessarily want to. Um, so, you know, it's, I think that's a similarity across the strength sports is you pick something that's about you and what you're willing to do and what you're capable of doing and, and see if you can hit that goal. And, you know, that's kind of what Phil was saying, I think. Oh, and especially as a raw power lifter, I mean, by far I'm kind of the minority and people, I go to meets where I'm the only raw guy there. No, but I'm okay wow. with that. You know, I'm in there doing my thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, and it's like, yeah. yeah. Well, that that right there speaks speaks volumes, Phil, about your your motivations. I mean, because um, I'm in much the same boat. I mean, if you're if you're competing, in, you know, meets where you know some sort of equipment is, is is accepted, and all your all your competitors are doing that, except for you. I mean, it speaks volumes about the fact that you aren't there to collect hardware, or you're not there to yeah. be. Oh, and so, I mean, you're, you're there to have fun. You're there to do the best that you can. And uh, as far as where the chips fall, whatever. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. but, you know, I think uh, another point I wanted to make is um, specifically about bodybuilding because um, you always get the guys who are the opposite end of the fence, the guys who are always think that they're ready, you know? <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> All of us can share about these kind of guys because we've. All, I mean, every region and every you know federation has, um, you know, those guys that just just are always there and they're always chronic they, competitors. They always just get looks from the crowd of what is this guy on? What is he thinking to even assume that he should be up on stage? <laughs> 
let me. I want to qualify something. Let me qualify something too. When I said I wanted to be in the hardware too, there, this is a very important distinction, and I'll I'll start with a, um, a statement of the ends of what what my goal was. I don't display trophies in my house. I actually put them in my garage in a box. Um, I'm not about the trophy. When I say I wanted to be in the hardware, I was all about the experience. Right to me, I was I was gaining some respect. I was a legitimate threat. On a on a regional level stage, that's why I I chose that goal. Basically, being in the top five, all the all the hardware is is plastic and a little dab of marble that signifies an event. So get over yourself if you're really about trophies, because you know that's not what matters. Why do you have that one trophy though? Then uh, um, cement glue to the, to the hood of your car, then Lonnie. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I take that off when I go over to the university. There you go. <laughs> No, I mean, yeah, I do the same thing with trophies. I mean, they get thrown in a bag somewhere, and they eventually might make it. But, I mean, it's just, uh, you know, sure, my first one, you know, I put up, or if I set a national record, but in the end, that's not, I want to beat that anyways. It's like, that was yesterday, and it's a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately world. So, I mean, I'm proud of it, but it's like, okay, it's, it's true. It's true. Right on. Yep. West Side guys, it's almost a tradition after every meet that whatever trophies they win, they go and they smash backstage. As, oh, yeah? As a symbol that, like what just almost like kind of said, we just did it. So yeah. what, we're already on to the next one, so this doesn't matter, and they just like ritualistic yeah. shit of trophies. Yeah. I could be wrong about yeah. that. If somebody from West Side's listening to this, certainly let me know. But I heard something like that, like they, they ritualistic smash their trophies or something. That's kind of cool, yeah. Well, okay. I just got a few more points, and these are just things you know that I've talked about with people in, in conversations and whatnot. But what about as a competition approaches? Like, what goes through your head the night before, and then maybe right before a lift? So let's start with the night before. What are, are you? What are you thinking about? That's a hard one, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, you know, now I'm pretty calm, man. Yeah. I'm used to it, so I just, I'm thinking about getting a bunch of food in my stomach and getting some sleep. <laughs> hey guys, I've already, by that point, I'm pretty relaxed because I've been playing the meat through my head for about a month, and I know exactly what every lift's going to be. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's already, I mean, I've already done it a hundred times, so. What about right before then? I mean, is it just real matter of fact, you're just going to, pit yourself against the bar and drive it up or, or, or is it, or do you do any kind of, you know, psychological games with yourself or I, I honestly go blank and I mean, I will get tunnel vision. I don't see, I don't hear, I don't do. And I always say the same thing. I always yell something that I say at every meet and I, I can't control myself. I've tried to stop myself from saying it. <laughs> and it's just, I've tried and it's like, Oh, and then I just say it and then I go lift. And yeah, I mean, it's just, I don't know. I hit this, Zone that's just blank, and uh, you know, the time for thinking is in the gym. When you're on the platform, you have to shut everything off and just do, because thinking makes you weak. Mm-hmm. I can't be thinking, sit back on my heels, you don't get out in front, put your chest up, this and that. I just got to do it. You know that all that practice before is so I can go on autopilot now. Yes, and lay out all those inhibitions and just let her rip. And hopefully all that practice has paid off. I once heard that. Go ahead. Oh, just a minute. You start thinking you're going to miss. I, I once heard that when under stress, 
we revert to our training. And that's exactly what you're talking about. The motor patterns are there. They're ingrained from years of lifting, you know. And, yeah, it's probably best not to think because that's one of my biggest problems is I'm an overanalyzer, you know. And and you're right. You do, I think it's time just to get in the zone and just beam, you know, super focus. Yeah. You know, if, if you're a tennis player and you get a serve served at you at 115 miles an hour, if you think, okay, go right, swing my arm, do that, you just missed the ball. Yep. yep. <laughs> you know, there's no time. You've got to just react. It's time to react. You know, all that thinking is done in the weight room, and you just go do. You know, now it's time to do. You know, all this practice, it's time to put it out there. Hey, guys, I'm joining you late. How are you? Hey, Charles. <clears throat> Sounds like a good discussion. Yeah, we're just we're we're trying to get in the heads of competitors for you know for guys who haven't competed, um, you know what what do we do? How do we prepare? What goes through your head the night before or right before actually a lift or you know how bodybuilding compares with powerlifting or or Highland Games or or that kind of stuff. So yeah, it's it's kind of fun just to talk about you know the different approaches or some of the the differences between the strength sports. I think it's important to know. Um, I think it's important for people to not, not necessarily expect sleep the night before competition. Oh, yeah. Because uh, yeah. I think that's a huge thing that could uh, contribute to them not getting sleep. I can certainly say that bodybuilding or powerlifting, I've really never slept at all the night before. Um, not really the nervousness with me. Um, more just kind of a, you're amped up, you're ready to rock, you know, yeah. so... Yeah, you know, um, but I th- again, I think certainly if you want, if you're if you're going to attempt to get sleep, the best thing to do is not to expect sleep. That's good advice. I can tell you when when I competed, you know, first of all, in bodybuilding, you're sort of you're strung out after 20 weeks a little bit, you know, and now I was refeeding a little, but it's not like you know indulgence in any way. But I remember I was also dehydrated. And the last time I was in a, in a fairly big event, it was the, uh, what, the NPC Mr. Northwest. Uh, I'm sorry, not Northwest, uh, Midwest. But my heart was just pounding because I would, partly because I was dehydrated, you know, and it's, it's, there's sort of this discomfort level. But in a way, you kind of, this sounds kind of masochistic. Don't think I'm twisted, but it, it, you almost kind of dig it, you know, because you sacrificed your, everything to, to such an extent by after 20 weeks or something that, you know, you're hungry, you're a little thirsty. And I mean, if you think about pumping iron and stuff, I think, or, or the comeback or one of those movies, Tom Platt's talks like that too. But, you know, you're in this general state of self-sacrifice. And I think that's one of the things that gives such meaning to contest preparation in a sense, because anything worth having takes sacrifice. And anyway, so I totally get what you're saying though. It's on stage in a bodybuilding competition. I mean, it was I remember waiting in the wings, you know, and you're, you're, you know, the competitor in front of you is on, and he's going, and you know, up here, you know, the the, the route, you have like a maximum, like sixty seconds, ninety seconds, whatever it is. And I remember, you know, standing there waiting, the guy, you know, the expediter stand there, and he's like, okay, Fortney, you're next, blah blah blah, and you're thinking to yourself, okay, I got like a minute, minute and a half here, you know, to make a decision. I could walk out of here right now. Nobody would know anything. Nobody can stop me. I can go put on my sweats. And I can walk out of here. <laughs> That's how nervous yeah. I was. You know, I was yeah. actually thinking about just walking away, you know, handing the guy my button and saying, see ya. Um, but there's something, you know, it's one of those things where it, it, once I got on there, you know, it was fun. And the 60 seconds 
again, whatever it was, you know, it went by so fast. You think, man, I just busted my ass for 14 weeks, you know, to be on stage. <laughs> and, and you feel so good when you're up there. I mean, the ner- it, was, it was just this massive contrast of, you know, just one minute before thinking, I could just walk out of here right now and never come back and look back and nobody would even care, to be on stage and thinking, God, it's already over. I want to go back out there again. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes your nerves are, Yeah, your nerves are worst on the first attempt, and then I generally find in strength sports, yeah. once you get to the second, you're, you're coasting, so. Yeah, well, I, I found that the same kind of thing. You know, once you kind of get in there, you're kind of like, let's do it again, let's do it again. So, um, and, and sometimes it's those extremes, those contact extremes that kind of are, like, like, like you were saying, Lonnie, that's almost like a drug. You know, that draws you back. It's like you got this massive, but once, once, once you get going, you know, it's like a fight. You know, I don't know how many of our listeners have been in fights, but you know, you're you're so nervous, right? <laughs> you know, in that those few seconds before you throw down. But, you know, but, but once the first punch gets thrown, you know, it's just like there's no more. Um, and, and that's what I find it to be like. Right. I think it's like getting attacked by a bear. You know, it, it, you're horrified at all the possibilities. Now, when it's happening, it's still horrible. It's still painful or whatever. But, it, you know, the kinds of things that you build up in your head before an event, you know, you, you, you got to remember that's a fantasy. The future is a fantasy. You know, so you've got to th- wait and see what actually happens. So you, you you start thinking negatively, and this is where sports psychologists, you know, really should be brought on to to probably talk about a lot of this stuff. But you know, how do you visualize success? I mean, I I don't know how you guys are, but even in the in the the daily life of the gym, I never get under a bar visualizing anything about failure. You know, seeing myself fold under the bar or something. I just I. I just don't do that at all. And maybe some people have to fight the urge not to feel that. I don't know, but, or maybe it's years of doing it, but I know what I'm capable of. And and I think it's the same thing with when you compete, you know what I mean? You, you've got to stay focused on a successful lift and how good it's going to feel and and that kind of stuff. You know, it's it's like in that um, video that Ed Cohn released uh, more years ago. And, you know, it shows him in the gym working up to, I think, you know, a 975 squat or something. And, God. Um, the common thing is something like, you know, when, when they're kind of narrating the video, it's like, uh, you know, be scared of this weight or, you know, do you have fear? You know, this is a weight that would crush 99% of all, you know, elite powerlifters. And, and his answer, answer, Ed Cohn's answer always stuck out to me. It's like, well, no, there's like, there, there is, of course, there's no fear because, you know, if I've done everything that I was supposed to do every step of the way, then it's another weight. It's, you know, it's, He's like, you know, I, I take 135 on the bar the same way I take, you know, 850 on the bar. It's just a weight on the bar, you know. And if I do everything along the way, then, you know, it, it should be successful. And even if it's not, there's certainly there shouldn't be fear because you've done everything that's necessary to that point to almost earn the right to at least pay. Yeah, and that's where, I mean, I preach, you know, the training in the gym is where you practice perfection. You know, I had a string there for two and a half years where I never missed one deadlift rep. And that causes a whole lot of confidence. Mm-hmm. You know, and I wouldn't attempt something if I thought, uh, maybe I want to do this, but it, there's an inkling I thought in my head I'll miss and I wouldn't take it. But yeah. what that caused is whenever I walk up to a bar, all I know how to do is pick it up. So come meet time, I'm not thinking, damn, what if I miss this? It's just, okay, I just got to pick up another bar. That's it. It's just another bar with weights on. And, uh, right. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think that's one thing you're going to do. I think one of the 
one of the biggest things people need to learn, especially in a strength sports, because the days are so long, is you got to learn to back off and calm down. I've seen a lot of people go downhill and they blow their wad on the first rep, and they're shaking and, you know, they just never calm down. They're walking on pins and needles the whole day. Halfway through the day, they're fried. Yeah, you know, exhausted. You've got to be able to sit down and just remove yourself and calm down. Let the crowd cheer for everybody. You know, <laughs> and you got to be able to sit down and be point. mature and just settle down. That's a really thing, the whole idea of just kind of calm down. I mean, first squat I ever did, um, my opener, I literally fell back with it. Like the, I had catchers have to, like, grab me. I have never – I've pitched forward with a lot of squats, but I'm back with a squat. Yeah. And I remember the guy that was coaching me at the time was like, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> and I was like <laughs> – it was almost what, what, like what Phil was saying there 10, 15 minutes ago, the whole concept of he, – he basically said to me, stop thinking. How many squat reps have you done in the last you know, 15, 20 years? Don't think. Just go out and do it. You know, Stop freaking out. Stop being nervous. This yeah. is essentially you just training again. You're in the gym. Just go there and squat a weight. Yeah. And from then on, the rest of the day was just fine. So yeah. Right. I got, I got lifters. Gene is a massive class lifter I got, and I literally have to – He'll run his squats through, and I have to remove him and take him out of the car. And make wow. him sit in the car. <laughs> you know, because if not, he's just standing up shaking and watching everything. And, you know, you just got to recognize if that's the type of person you are, you need to just, it's good to remove yourself and just go settle down. You don't have to worry. When you walk up to the bar, you're going to get amped up. Yep. And automatically, you don't need to stay jacked up all day. It's actually going to hurt you. So, I mean, don't worry. The beast is going to arise when it's time, <laughs> you know. Yeah. I've never walked up to a bar and yawned, you know. Oh, I'm going to try 700, you know. it's You're, you're going to wake up. So Yeah, I think that's all good advice. I remember an old martial arts teacher once said, Lonnie, slow down to about half of what you think is the appropriate speed. You know, this was in a forms competition, but, again, I see a lot of analogies. Slow down to about half, and then you're still – going faster than you normally would, you know? So you've got to sort of take a breath, slow down a little bit, and purposely, like you know, like you said, let, let the beast take over a little, just, you know, at that point. Hey, I wanted to ask one, I got one last thing to ask for everybody, because I know Charles has done some successful lifts at some, you know, regional slash national competitions and stuff. How does it feel? I mean, what's so addictive? Why do you, you know, compete or continue to compete or whatever i just I, I thought maybe we could just describe the feeling of what it's like to be on a stage or a power platform or or even making a you know uh, a major you know success in a highland games event or something like that I, I thought maybe we could just talk a little bit about what's going through your head or or how that feels what do you think i mean obviously it feels it feels fantastic you know, to do something like that. But why is why is that fun? Is it is it the crowd? Is it not about the people that are watching at all? Or, or is it respect from your fellow competitors? I'm just trying to get a handle on it. I think for me, it's being able to, to, to make it happen when it counts, you know. I think it has more to do with that than anything. But, you know, okay, you can make these lifts in the gym, but now when when when, when it counts for real, can you do it when you need to do it? And uh, and if you you know if if you're able to I think you know it's just hugely satisfying I think that's a very difficult question though 
aside from that, I think, uh, uh, you know, I mean, Phil's at a level where, you know, he's vying for national championships and stuff like that. I tend to not be at that level. So there's going to be a different a different motivation level there. For me, I'm just purely trying to uh, to just hit the numbers that I set out for. But, um, yeah, tough question. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think it's just a, kind of a personal little victory kind of a thing. You know, you made it that far. You know, you did it. It almost gives you an excuse to kind of sometimes to keep justifying, you know, the nonsense that you keep. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I I did go in a competition once. There is, you know, because so many people don't even know there's competitions for the kind of things that we do sometimes, you know? Um, yeah. You know, oh, there's a competition where actually, you know, people put a bar across the back and squat down. Um, yeah. So it, it could be kind of a qualifier for, you know, why you're the guy that's not going out getting drunk on Saturday, you know, because you have a big squat workout Sunday or something, you know? Um but it's, I think it's le- for me, it's less about that and more about just, um, you know, on, on occasion, just having kind of that, allowing yourself to kind of back the glory of being in a competition. Um, but not so much an ego thing where you're kind of bragging to anybody else, kind of just enjoying the warmth of the, the spotlight maybe for a couple hours. Right. Right. I've heard that. Partial reinforcement is is the most addictive, and I think that's what we got going here is so much sacrifice in and out of the gym. Not that it's all negative; it's it's actually very positive. But you know what I mean that that intense sense of accomplishment or confidence or even appreciation from competitors or a crowd or whatever it's so brief. And I, I I've heard that that kind of reinforcement it's so infrequent that it's actually the most addictive. Yeah. Um. Yeah. We were talking about this. I mean, a partner. Uh, yesterday and I addicted to strength <laughs> you know because you know I recently got diagnosed with a degenerative hip and I just can't give it up and I went in the gym yesterday and he came downstairs and heard all this yelling and loud music and he's like what the hell did you just do and I squatted 500 for 8 and I was like I had to, I just had to do it you know it's just something in my head I can't give it up and uh, you know I don't know I think in a meet and hitting something big it's just that nine months of training was worth it. I added five more pounds. And just, I don't know, it's an appreciation for such a small thing. And it's very humbling, you know. I added five more damn pounds on it. It took me, you know, I sacrificed all this for that, you know. And it's like, how many people would do that, you know. And uh, yeah. Well, I think Charles hit on something when he said, you're, you're proving to yourself that you can come through when it counts, you know, that you're not going to just basically go hysterical or, you know, like Rob said, he started, you know, his squats just making bozo decisions, you know, or choices or, you know, mistakes when he just had to put that past him. And I think there's sort of a maturational thing where you, you boost yourself up a level in confidence and maturity and stuff when you can do that. I mean, you could say that's pitting yourself against other men. Maybe it's not about that. It's pitting yourself against yourself. But when it comes right down to it, you know, yeah, it's not just a lucky lift in the gym, but you're saying I can target a date and I can do this right, you know, whether it's body comp or whatever like everybody says, you know, the gym lifts and meat lifts are, are two totally different things. And, I mean, you can say the same thing in any sport. I mean, there's 
countless football players. Look at Brian Bosworth. I mean, all the numbers added up. But you put them on the field, and it didn't work. You know, and it's just proven that when I'm when rubber hits the road, I can do this. You know, and yeah, I mean, it's I think it's more mental than anything. A meet is. Well, it's also thing, and I'm talking about most bodybuilding here. But I, I mean, I've, I've heard it said many times. I mean, there's a big difference between a gym bodybuilder and a body, uh, you know, a stage bodybuilder. Because I've seen guys, you know, um, who really look like nothing in the gym, but are world beaters on stage. You know, and I've seen guys who, you know, are mid-pack at best in the pro ranks who in the gym are unbeatable. Mm -hmm. Um, Bob Kennedy used to have a lot of stories about guys like Bob Paris. In fact, Bob Paris was the specific one I'm thinking about where he told me, you know, when Bob Paris was was at his best, when I don't even know when that was, like what, mid-80s, he said that, you know, when he used to walk around with tank around World Gym and Gold Gym and that, he's it was absolutely absolutely inconceivable that anyone could ever beat him. You know, but as soon as he was on stage, I mean obviously he did well. He had a you know moderately successful pro career, but things changed. So sometimes it, if you really do want to kind of see, you know, kind of where you stand, the best thing to do is to stand on the stage or in the posing dais or up on the lifting platform and kinda of see, you know, are you a gym lifter or are you a gym bodybuilder? Or you know, and it doesn't mean that one one's better than the other. It's just sometimes it's nice to know kind of where you stand in that realm. The other thing too is that um, if you are if you are a meat lifter, um, and and I know Phil is, and I am, and I don't know as much about Rob and Lonnie, but um, like I know in a in an important competition, I'm likely to hit numbers I've never hit before. So that's why I look forward to it because. I know that I have a high likelihood of hitting up uh, some PRs. Uh, weights to me and, and meets just feel lighter usually, so um, so you look forward to that. You know yeah, what? I totally agree. I remember, you know, when you when I was backstage warming up the first meet, and it was just I couldn't believe. Like I mean, obviously, you know, these are warm up weights here. So you're you're <laughs> fully expecting to hit them all, but just light they felt. Like working up through you know four, five, six hundred pounds, I remember just thinking to myself, "Holy crap! Like this is ridiculous." <laughs> Every weight I put on the bar feels like a hundred pounds less than it is. Yeah. yeah. No, and that's a that's a unique feeling. I mean, it is. And yeah, you're so excited, you know. Especially when things start to come together. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it, it's got to be an addictive thing. I mean, it's just extremely exciting when something comes together. I remember when when I was called out you know, in like finals, you know, for comparisons, I'm thinking, holy shit, is this really happening? You know what I mean? Um, there's so many guys in this weight class and they just keep pulling me out and comparing me to these other people. And then you start, it starts to, it's just like, you know, like Rob said, working up in the lifts, like through fours, five, 600 pound squats. It's just, it's, it's, it's motivating. And, And maybe this activates your nervous system or your endocrine system in some way that's just not really achievable in some other way. You know, like like Charles was saying, you know, hitting PRs. I mean, not only can he perform when it comes down to it, but he's actually outperforming what he he did just a little while before. Yeah, I mean, when you're hitting PRs in your warm-ups, you know, that's a pretty pretty cool feeling. You're like, man, I don't even have to compete. I've already bested myself. I haven't even standing on the platform yet. (laughs) That's funny. Right. Yeah, reason enough to compete. 
Yeah. It, you know, and I remember, I remember when I, when I did do well, you know, after really investing so much myself emotionally into competing, you know, again, a, a constant references to Tom Platt's, but, you know, almost feel like this kind of religious experience or this calling. And I, after so much time put into that, I remember I sat up the night in a hotel room with, with a pie, with a whole, <laughs> whole chocolate turtle cream pie thing. But I sat there eating it and, and just looking at the trophy, not because the trophy was so awesome, but because, you know, oh my God, that I actually did that. You know, I was actually able, able to do that. And it, you know, it, it, I want to bring this up before we have to go here. Cause it, it yeah. mind, um, much the same as Lonnie, you mentioned long time ago, people, you know, how they always think about before, but not after the training session. Well, in much the same way, my question is, how do you cope with the after component? Because if you're a sensitive, emotional person, or you know, like you say, you're, you invest so much emotionally into what you, um, it's really easy to kind of get kind of get those post competition blues a little bit. You know, day is gone. Do you guys ever feel that, or? I mean, I get to the point that I know now that I'm going to be sick. Physically ill after a meet, um, I'll usually get a cold and just for two weeks even afterwards, I'm just emotionally and physically wiped out. That's interesting. And it's just, I'm, it's all been leading up to that day and it's like my, everything's jacked up, keeping me going. My, I don't know, my, my white blood cell counts up or something, keeping me healthy and it's like once it's over, everything just slows down and boom, shuts down. And for some reason, I get a cold, I, you know, all this other crap. And it's just a How huge do you feel emotion. Do, do you feel the blues at all? Yeah, a little bit. And, you know, I also want to get back in there and train, but it's just I know that I can't. And, uh, like, man, what's next? <laughs> you know, my problem is, is that I'm always that type of person that, you know, like, okay, I hit 725. I never thought I'd do that. I want eight. Yeah, it's never yeah. good enough. But uh, so there's always something more. But. Yeah, for me it was afterglow, kind of. <laughs> you know, it was kind of like, you know, be, because I I I met the goals that I had set out for myself. I I was just you know I I, I, I was enthused. I didn't. It wasn't like postpartum depression or something. You know, I I felt I felt really good, and then I actually started like just like. Along the lines of what Phil was saying, I started thinking, hmm, should I compete this fall as well? You know, because it was sort of a late spring thing. And maybe I'll compete twice this year. I mean, it was it was motivating to actually, you know, do it again. Um, but I do think it's probably good advice to fig- to tell people that if you if you are going to compete, you know, give yourself a breather of a couple of weeks afterwards, not just to recover, but, you know, to, to start thinking clearly again. For me, it might have been mania. You know, fortress for you. It sounds like it might be a little bit of the opposite. You know, so maybe a couple of weeks to kind of get your head back to normalcy. I think that's where a lot of, especially new people, do it, make a mistake, and I know I did. It's they don't have the realization that every peak has a valley on either side of it. Yeah, and yep. I'd do a meet, and I'd hit a new PR, and then I'd be like, I'm going to go hit more now the next day, and you know, just try and keep pushing that new high up and. It just burns you out, and it's realizing, hey, it's okay to back off, settle down for a minute, let this sink in, and then get started here in a week or two. You know? mm-hmm. 
and maybe it's even just getting back to the love of of the you know being the lifer and back to enjoying the you know the the bar in your hands in the gym on a daily basis you know what i mean and instead of immediately thinking i have to compete you know in order to i don't know be successful necessarily or something the gym i love the gym and i'll always be a gym goer and i, I am a lifer but the gym will never be a meet and you have to realize that. And coming the day after a meet, you're, oh, I'm ready to get to the gym. That was freaking awesome. And then you get this letdown, like, wow, this isn't the same. But <laughs> so you need a little break and realize, okay, it's back, to, it's back to punching that clock and doing what I love. I, I like your phrase, Phil. By the way, punch the clock. I've been, I've been saying that a lot lately because, in a way that I mean, it's not negative. You know what I mean? It's just, uh, it's, it's, it's enjoyable. It's like you can like your work. But yeah, there's so many workouts to lay foundations. It is like punching the clock, and there's satisfaction in that. Yeah, you know, you know that is a really great thing. I've been thinking about a lot about that too. You really do have to kind of just punch the clock. You know, it's just it's that accumulation of all that 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 you know erupts into something that's better than average. Well, right? especially which, the which longer you're in it, man. The longer you're in it, you're you got to accept that. You know, when we all started that first year, we'd go in there and kill new things every workout. Yeah, right. Yeah. And the longer you go, it gets, you know, you still want that, but you got to realize it ain't going to happen. And you just got to get a very mature attitude of, if I just do what's right, six months from now, it's going to pay off. <laughs> you, know? And yeah. that's a, you know, that can be hard to chew on for a little bit. But. Yeah, like Charles says, there's a maturity factor in all that, you know. So, and, and that ties back to what we were saying earlier in the podcast about, you know, don't get overzealous. I mean, some guys get highly motivated and you've seen the guys, they start posing in the gym and, you know, they really, they're sort of beginners, maybe intermediates, you know, and they're really excited. And then God forbid, you know, maybe they get on stage before they punch the clock enough, before they've got enough time. And because you've got to have something, in my opinion, stronger or bigger or more impressive than average. Otherwise, I don't see it, uh, you know, as much satisfaction out of actually competing. Because the whole idea is, like Rob said, you've got this brotherhood and everybody is sort of weird in their own way or a niche group or a minority group and, and spectacular in their, in their own way. You know, they're stronger than the average person. They're bigger. They're more visually impressive, whatever it is. So, yeah, there's a lot to that punch in the clock. And, you know, but you've got to do that for a while before you compete. All right, man. I, guys, I think we're pretty much at the end. Any final thoughts? No, no, I'm trying to cheat and do a meet. Yeah, about it. Yeah, I think competing could be a really good thing for people who are considering it. You know, talk to some experienced uh, competitors. Uh, attend some bodybuilding shows or some power meets or some Highland Games. Go, please go attend. I mean, get your head around the idea. You know, of what caliber you want to compete at and what kind of, uh, you know, actual uh, physical tests are, are before you. Go get familiar. By you know uh, spectating for sure. As usual, our listeners can uh, call in with any comments they'd like to make or stories. Um, the call in number again we have is two zero six two zero three three seven nine eight because we certainly like to, like to hear um, our listeners share whatever they'd like to experiences competing whatever. Great idea. Yeah. Okay, guys. Thanks for uh, a good conversation. Thanks. Yep. Thanks a lot, everybody. Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like Iron Radio, if you like what we do, uh, the education, interviewing uh, 
industry personalities or many of the pro bodybuilders or coaches that we've had in the past, uh, please just click on the donate button at www.ironradio.org and make a donation. We've had some great donations from people that have kept us going. Thank you so much. Uh, so please visit uh, the website, click on the donation button, or if you like, uh, and it's a similar situation, buy some Iron Radio cool stuff. We've got t-shirts and mugs and things like that, and those things help support the site and keep us on the air. The Iron Radio podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.